I'm Laurie Mallon, and this is the Results Without Restriction podcast, the show where results have nothing to do with weight and everything to do with setting and reaching health and fitness goals that focus on what we're achieving and not what we're losing. We'll talk about deprogramming from diet culture and get expert advice on reclaiming your relationship with food and movement. Join me on this journey to get results without restriction. Welcome, everyone. I am here with Terry Patterson. She is a functional nutritionist, and she is also a This Naked Mind senior coach. Terry blends her knowledge of nutrition with her passion for living an alcohol-free life into a unique business as the sober nutritionist. Terry's mission is to help her clients discover how drinking less can actually be the key to better health. Terry is also the host of the popular podcast, The Sober Edge inspiration for alcohol-free living, and she's the creator of the brand new Self Experience, a place for women after alcohol who want to build a life by design and not by default. Welcome, Terry. Well, hello, Lori. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I have to tell you that I got so much great feedback and, and excitement about having you on the podcast to talk about alcohol consumption and health and and all of the things that surround that. And one thing that I, I like to kind of just um, start with at the beginning of this episode is, you know, the podcast is called Results Without Restriction. And how can we talk about cutting out alcohol, right? Isn't that restriction? The way that I see restriction is when you tell yourself you can't have something. And the lens that we're looking at this through is you're choosing, you know, you're, you're, you're examining, you're exploring the relationship between what happens when you consume something, how does it feel in your body? How do you feel about it? If it's working for you, if it's not working for you, you can choose not to consume, you can choose to avoid it. That's not restriction. So I'd like to get that out of the way before I get any messages about that. (laughs) So Terry, what I like to do first with my guests is go over backstory. How did you get to the point where you are the sober nutritionist? Yeah, so that's a great question. And really for me, I think I was kind of what I would call myself a wellness enthusiast. And I always was interested in, you know, just kind of trying some things, whether it was green smoothies or or lifestyle hacks. And I always considered myself kind of a normal drinker, you know, just sort of socially drank. And then as alcohol does, you know, it does create a tolerance. We can talk a little bit about why that happens in the brain. But I started finding myself drinking more to get the same effects. And I got to a place where I looked at my life and I thought, well, if I value wellness and I just don't feel like alcohol is really creating that sense, like spending a lot of mental energy thinking about drinking, thinking about not drinking, wondering if I should cut back. And I just started to have this disconnect with alcohol. In the beginning, it was sort of fun and social and take it or leave it. And then it got to be much more consuming. I didn't have any rock bottoms. I didn't have, um, you know, fortunately, no DUI. I didn't lose a job. Uh, Although those things can happen when we, you know, have a complicated relationship with alcohol. We find ourselves over drinking. But for me, it was really just this sort of nagging voice that said, is this really working for you? And what would happen if you took a break? And so it's coming up on seven years for me. And seven years ago, I didn't really know if there was other options out there. I really thought, you know, 12-step, 
the traditional Alcoholics Anonymous was kind of the, the thing. And I really didn't want to do that. I live in a small town. I had a lot of unfounded fears about what that might look like. And so I had tried moderating for a long time. And again, it took up a lot of headspace. Like if I don't drink on Wednesday, can I drink on Friday? And if I only have beer, can I have something else? You know, it was just kind of a mental game and that wasn't working. And so when I stopped drinking, I just stopped. And I told myself if I couldn't stop, I might need to go to meetings. And that was kind of the beginning for me of this journey that is now coming up on seven years of not drinking alcohol. So one thing that you said there, and it really rang true for me with um, it taking up a lot of mental space for you to to kind of moderation. Like if I do this on Thursday, can I do this Friday? If I only have beer, then can I have one? A lot of correlations there with diet culture, making kind of those distinctions where you have to spend a lot of time thinking about if I do this, can I do that? And I, it just didn't seem like it was worth it for you to keep having to do these calculations. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned that it was black or white, right? So it was either drink and figure out how to do that in a way that worked for you or 12 step, go the recovery route. And that really wasn't working for you either. There wasn't a lot of middle ground there. Mm -hmm. And now what's so fascinating is where we are in our culture, we really have this sober curious movement and there are lots of options out there now. And so what happened for me was when I stopped drinking, I suddenly had all of this time and energy. So I took that passion for wellness and I decided to go to become a nutritionist. So I went to the Nutritional Therapy Association and I became a nutritionist. And Lori, when I got there, I thought, well, these are my people. Everybody will be valuing wellness and they won't be drinking alcohol. And that wasn't the case at all. <laughs> you know, they're humans and there is a lot of information about there, a lot of misinformation, a lot of misdirection around the health benefits of alcohol, for example. And so you know, I got into this place where I was learning so much about the body. I wasn't learning a lot about alcohol and the body. And so I did that kind of independent research myself. And I found that my nutrition clients were, you know, their health just wasn't turning the corner if alcohol was still involved. And so I started coaching people to take a look at alcohol. And I found that that was a really challenging place for people. And I didn't have as many tools as I wanted to. So I went and became a certified coach in the methodology of this naked mind, which helps people take a break, but it looks very different than those traditional 12-step programs. And that has been a place that has been just really exciting. I mean, when I discovered the work of Annie Grace, who founded this naked mind, I thought that's what I would have needed. And that's something I can offer to my clients because it's a very different model of how to explore our relationship with alcohol without all of the black and white that comes with those traditional views and programs. I like this because growing up, you know, like in my 20s, it was either you drank or you didn't. And if you didn't, you were either pregnant, you had a problem. There wasn't this like you couldn't really just choose to not drink and people mind their business about it. So mm -hmm. I love that this is becoming, you know, more prevalent, more acceptable to just say, yeah, this is just not something I participate in. Let's move on. It's not a thing. When you started working with your clients and their relationships with alcohol, what were some of the things that you were seeing that were coming up for them in terms of what they expected to find when they when they looked into that and what they actually found? Mm, yeah, that it's fascinating because there's a lot to unpack there because it can be around like their health. I mean, I think for me, if I take 
take my own story. I was really stuck on, it's going to be boring. People are going to be boring. I might be boring. How will I have fun? Like alcohol was just a part of my world. Like if I went to a baby shower, there was mimosas. If I went out to dinner, there was drinks. I often had a drink before I went to dinner. I did a lot of drinking at home, you know, wine with cooking dinner, wine after dinner, cocktails on the weekend, breweries, you know, going to festivals where there was beer, going to Oktoberfest. I mean, so it was very challenging to think, what is life going to look like if I take alcohol out? Because it was touching on all of the relationships, all of the activities, all of the daily routines. And so I think for people, we really get stuck on, I don't know how to untangle this. And so there's a lot of assumptions about what's going to happen. So we think that we're going to lose all of our friends. We won't be able to hang out with the same people. And that's not true. <laughs> and then we think that life's going to be very dull and boring. And that's not true. And then we think that all of the things we use alcohol for around stress, around boredom, around connection, we really get to challenge each and every one of those areas. And when we really look at the way that alcohol acts in our body and creates this dynamic of how we show up, it's very different than kind of what we assume on the other side. And this is what's so powerful about just exploring it with an open mind and saying, gosh, you know, is it really building connection? If I feel lonely and I drink because I'm lonely and I'm drinking alone, is that helping loneliness or is that actually fostering less connection? So these are the things that are fascinating to explore with people. There's a few things that are very similar and then everybody sort of has their own hangups. What you said about how far reaching alcohol is into every every facet, right? Like it's to unwind after work. It's with dinner, after dinner, weekends, events, socially, hanging out. It's so pervasive. And sometimes we just may not even realize until we kind of make that conscious decision to say, let's take a step back and investigate what it might feel like and why why we're hesitant mm -hmm. to kind of scale back on that. Because like you said, what if everything is boring? What if I'm boring? My life is boring. What does that what does that say about me if I actually do need alcohol to make my life, to make me interesting, exciting, and fun? Mm -hmm. That's that's really interesting. One of the ways to look at this too is if we think about the ways that for any individual, the way that alcohol connects. So um, I like to talk about it in these three layers. And so we have the substance of alcohol. Like, um, oh, we use alcohol because it helps with food pairing, like it makes food taste better. Uh, and then we look at society. Oh, you know, I need alcohol to just sort of loosen up when I'm at a party because I have a little social anxiety. Mm -hmm. Then we look at self and we say, you know, um, I need alcohol to help me get through parenting, for example. And so we really unpack these layers of substance, society, and self. And there's a lot of ways that alcohol has just been socially sort of presented to us culturally, like the mommy wine culture, for example. And so we look at these ways and we get to ask ourselves, gosh, is it really true? Like, what does it mean that I have to have wine to, you know, parent my children? Like, what is the message there? And is that really true? And so we spend a lot of time saying, is that true? And noticing where alcohol's, you know, just accepted 
messaging around the alcohol industry and the way alcohol is used, we really want to look at that and think, is that really true? How's that showing up in my life? And is that what I want to be showing up in my life? I love that you mentioned two things. One is the mommy wine culture and how it is just so acceptable or even expected that drinking wine is is what we need to do to cope or like to, to be a good parent. And that's, oh gosh, that is just such, that has, that has been so irritating to me for so long. It's like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And I love the specific phrase um, about the beliefs that we have around alcohol. Is this true? Right. So many, so many times, like in the messaging you said, like around like advertising, alcohol companies, like beer companies and the things that they tell us and the messages we receive. So many of us don't stop to think, wait a minute, is that true? Mm -hmm. Do I have any evidence to prove? Like, what would it look like if, if I just suspended that belief for a second and, and lived my life that way? What would that look like? How exciting would that be? Right. How interesting. What would I learn? Yeah. And here's an interesting example. So let's look at alcohol relaxes me or, you know, when I'm stressed, it helps. So imagine this, if alcohol really helped with stress, would you want your brain surgeon to take a glass, you know, a drink, a shot before they started working? Because you don't want them to be stressed. You want them to be focused and relaxed when they're doing your brain surgery. If would you want your you know child going into the SAT, should we give them a shot of alcohol because we want them to be relaxed? And so when we start to think about it in terms of what the messaging is and what actually is true, it, it's kind of laughable almost. It's like, wait a minute. No, we don't want our brain surgeon drinking alcohol. And then we get to ask, so does it really relax people? And then we get to use that curiosity and explore. I think that's probably something that a lot of people have been missing, but this is just what we do. And it's just so socially acceptable. When you do work with clients and we're exploring alcohol in our lives and and relationships and our health, what are some of the myths or pitfalls that you see people kind of buying into or falling into as they're they're investigating or they're exploring these different relationships? Yeah, I think probably the biggest one to talk about is this idea that we need to stop drinking. So behavior, you know, is the most important part of it. So I like to say that behavior comes last. So the methodology that I use when I work with clients is if you are, if you come to me and you're wanting to change your relationship with alcohol and you're still drinking, the first thing we do is we quit trying to quit. So we take what we call a pause and this is very counterintuitive, but we actually say, okay, we're going to, we're going to stop putting all of our willpower and efforting and all of our judgment and all of the rules around drinking. And we're going to start exploring what are the reasons I like to have a drink? Do I like it or do I feel like I have to have it? Do I feel like I can't stop or do I feel like I'm not sure I want to stop? So we get to bring like knowledge and curiosity into what's behind the drinking? Like, what are the reasons before we change the behavior? And during this time of pause, we do what I like to call mindful drinking. So we start to explore like, hey, it's, you know, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. And all of a sudden I started thinking about, oh, when I get home tonight, I'm going to have a drink. And then we get to say, well, what just happened at three o'clock? Oh, I'm feeling really tired. Um, Maybe I need to, or I'm feeling really uptight about something that's happened today. Maybe I actually would be better served by taking a walk outside, releasing some of that cortisol and adrenaline. Maybe I'd do well with just 
taking, uh, getting a glass of water and ask my brain, maybe I was just thirsty. And then when we get home, we say, okay, it's been a habit. My routine is to just pour a glass of wine. Do I really want a glass of wine? What if I started with a little bit of protein? Could I wait 10 minutes? What would that feel like? No judgment about if you're drinking. And so that's a big one is we, you know, behavior comes last. Once we start to understand some of the reasons we're bringing alcohol into our life, some of the ways that it's been wrapped up in our culture, then we can start to explore, oh, this is what a break looks like for me. This is kind of how I want to set it up. This is what I'm going to challenge myself with perhaps or explore, experiment with. And then we're ready to create an action plan to take a break, whether that's seven days, 30 days, 90 days, everybody gets to explore that differently. And so I think that's the biggest one. And then if you are in this place and you take a break and you drink, we call it a data point. And the beautiful thing about a data point is there's learning involved. So it's not a, we don't fall off the wagon. We don't go back to day one. There's really no day ones. It is really just saying, gosh, you know, um, I'm taking this break and it feels really good. Or I, you know, I had a data point. Here's what I learned. I learned that I was below the 50% line. I didn't regulate my nervous system. I hadn't eaten. There was, I was hangry. Cravings came up and I didn't use any of my tools. I just drank. And so these are two places that I think are really powerful when it comes to how can we do it better? There was so much there. One, I love that that is like mindful eating, right? So if we've been living through with diet rules and, you know, we can eat this time and we can't eat after eight o'clock and like, what would it look like if instead of just mindlessly following the rules or, or doing these behaviors, you know, giving into these habits, put some awareness behind it and saying, what's happening when I have this feeling or this craving? What's actually going on around me? What's going on inside me? What is it that makes me want to reach for that to solve this problem or soothe or just comfort or whatever? it looks like. So that sounds like a really forgiving way to start exploring. So we're not we're not doing a cold to tofurkey, I call it, because I don't need me. Use all our willpower to try to, to, to resist, but we're really learning about how we've been interacting with alcohol or how we've been using alcohol in our lives. The data point. Mm. I love this because how do you learn? How do you gain deeper knowledge unless you have some kind of experience where you're you've you're you're not just not drinking but you're drinking and and now you can say here's what happened maybe something didn't go the way i wanted it to what was happening before mm -hmm. what happened during and and what can i learn from this right so it's all about learning about what we've what we've got the the patterns we've got grooved in around alcohol and consumption Yes. And there's this beautiful framework where we talk about the four C's and this comes from the work of another coach, but, you know, we think that confidence comes, we need confidence to do this. And actually just like behavior, confidence comes last. So the first thing we have is a commitment. So we commit to exploring our relationship, getting curious, using grace and compassion. And then we do courage. Courage is second. So we step out in courage and we do the thing. We say, okay, I'm, you know, I've made this commitment. I'm going to do the thing. And then the third thing that is the most important, this is where data points come in, is the capability. And that takes practice. And we don't practice by doing it perfect. We practice by trying something and it doesn't work. Changing something here, noticing something there, trying again, and then getting a little further along, and then maybe also having a data point. 
and then realizing, oh, I thought my data point was just when my partner was irritated with me. But now I'm realizing it's when I'm irritated with anyone, for example. And so those are things that are so valuable. And then when we get through commitment, courage, capability, practicing, then comes confidence. And then we're like, okay, I think I've got this. I'm going to go a little longer. I'm going to keep, because what happens on the backside of not drinking is we don't realize how much of an impact alcohol has when we're, you know, eating. And it's kind of like, you know, if we think about you know, food, if somebody has a sensitivity to gluten and they're always eating gluten, it's really challenging to know how good they'll feel until they remove gluten and give their body a chance to respond. Same thing happens with alcohol. And so what I find is that when people do take a break, they're suddenly, wow, I'm feeling so good. Like I sleeping, waking up, you know, feeling energetic. I'm having you know, no cravings. I'm feeling like happy. My mood is elevated. Like I'm enjoying life again. I'm trying new things. And they don't want often to go back to that place where ugh, life was just a little less than. I love that you mentioned grace and courage. Grace because I mean, you're doing something for the first time. You might suck at it, right? <laughs> yeah, you, you know, do. <laughs> lots, of, lots of people who, who try new things suck at them when they first start. And you have to be able to give yourself that grace and, and be willing to, to try again and suck at it again. And just until you build up that tool set to get to the point where you like you can you feel equipped to handle it. Those four C's those sound like that framework sounds like a very encouraging and nurturing mm -hmm. place to start with your exploration of your relationship with alcohol. Terry, one thing that is coming up for people, consumption of alcohol during the holidays as a social lubricant, as a stress management tool, as just a social ever-present party guest. What are some tools or some suggestions you have for listeners as they're going into the holidays to kind of bring some awareness to their alcohol consumption um, between now and in the next few months? Yes. And so I think it kind of a little bit depends on somebody's goal. But let's just say someone's looking to cut back and sort of explore, you know, changing their relationship with alcohol, drinking less, for example. And they've got all of these boozy events coming up. And so I think that, you know, there's a couple of options. One, I would say is, first of all, just check in with yourself. Like, are you going to these events because you feel like you have to, and therefore alcohol is the only way you're going to get through them? Can you cut back on some of those events? Maybe you would rather, you know, than going out to a boozy dinner with your girlfriends, maybe you want to do a cookie baking and holiday um, Hallmark movie night, you know, or something like that, where you're doing something that's not centered around those typical things that are centered around alcohol. So I think the first tip is to really pay attention to what you can control and check in with, am I going because I'm excited about this event? And if I'm not, is there a way that I can say not this year? And then the second one is to really think about uh, making a firm plan. So if you have three events in a week and they all feel like they're going to be a little boozy, you know, I just invite you to think about what if I choose one or two of those to not drink? 
And I'm going to make a firm commitment because decision fatigue is a real thing. Maybe means yes in these situations. So if we go into the event and we just say, mm, this is a non-drinking night, I'm going to be the designated driver. I'm going to leave early. I'm going to hit the gym in the morning. Whatever accountability you can set up is really helpful. And then there are beautiful mocktails and lots of non-alcoholic beers out there. So if that's your thing, you can definitely find out ahead of time like what's available. And I'm looking forward to ordering the sparkling lemonade shrub that's a non-alcoholic drink, for example. And they're, believe me, they're out there. So if you're going to an event, you know, figure out what you can drink ahead of time. Just make a plan and just use it as self-care. I'm choosing to do this because it feels really good. And I think the third thing is to, if you're in a situation, we call it a buddy, a plan, and an excuse. So you might set up an accountability to tell a buddy, look, I'm not drinking tonight. And so if this becomes awkward, I'm going to, you know, make eye contact with you and you can come over and rescue when somebody's trying to hand me a glass of wine and I could use your help with that. And then, you know, just having the excuse to just sort of slip out the back jack if things get um, messy and just, you know, explore how you want the event to go. We can do a lot with visualization. We can play it forward and ask, you know, is alcohol really going to serve me in this tense work situation? If I drink or over drink, I might feel awkward. It would be weird to get sloppy at the work party. And so we just get to set that intention, which I think is really powerful. Harry, those are great tips because I know that the holidays are often just jammed with events, especially like professional events where alcohol will be flowing. And I was, you know, I don't, I'm self-employed now, but when I worked in an office, there was, and I was always just, you know what? No, these are, these are not the people who need to see me after a few, after a few drinks. Like I don't, this is not the vision I need the mental picture they need to have of me on Monday in the meeting where I want them to take me seriously. And they've seen, they've seen too much, right? Like mm -hmm. I don't need that. So those are really, really great tips. And I do appreciate you sharing those specific holiday centric tips with our audience. Terry, can we talk real quick about how people can work with you and what it looks like to be in this program with you? Yeah. So I, um, I offer a couple of different things. So I work with people one-on-one -on -one to take a break from alcohol and that you can find me at the sober nutritionist.com. Uh, I also have a podcast, the sober edge podcast that I love connecting people to like inspiring stories around people who are no longer drinking and what has opened up for them on the other side of alcohol. I'm also launching in November a program called The Self Experience, and this is for women who have taken a break from alcohol, and they're just looking for more. They want to have that connection with other women who aren't drinking, and they really want to explore how do those four C's show up after alcohol? So where do they get to set their intention? Where do they get to know themselves better? Where do they get to grow? Where do they get to love themselves? Where do they get to be themselves? And so that's the self program that's coming in November. And you can find out more information on my website about that. Perfect. I'm going to have all of the links for your podcast, your website, and where people can connect with you on social um, in the show notes, and they'll be able to grab that. One thing I do want to mention is that Terry, you have a free gift for the listeners. And this is your five reasons to take a break from alcohol guide. And I'm also going to be linking that in the show notes. Uh, if anybody wants to take a look at that, 
Terry, I'd like to wrap up with your top three tips, but I feel like those holiday tips were really, really good. Do you have three more tips for us? Yeah, well, I think one of the things to know is that um, alcohol is going to be around us no matter where we go. Like we're not going to be able to leave alcohol, you know, out of our world. It's just, it's going to show up at the ball game. It's going to show up at your neighbor's barbecue. It's going to be there. And so I think one of the things that's really helpful is to just get comfortable with talking about taking a break. And whether you want to say, you know, I'm just kind of exploring, you know, getting my brain back on track. I've, I've read recently that alcohol is not very healthy for the brain. And so I'm just taking a break or I'm just doing a 30 day challenge or, you know, alcohol wasn't serving me. It's really fascinating that alcohol is the only drug we have to justify not taking. And so people are often, they may question you. And so I think that just knowing that if you have your own internal intention around it and you're doing it for ways that, you know, gosh, you know, I'm just feeling so good. I'm just going to keep exploring how this feels. Say it with, you know, resolve, with pride, with, you know, the passion that you get to choose how to thrive in this world. This is your wellness we're talking about. And so when you can do that, I think that's a long way toward, oh, it felt so uncomfortable. It felt like there was social pressure. Well, that may be there. And so it comes down to your own intention about how do I want to live the next five or 10 years? Like, how do I want to feel? And one of the most beautiful things about letting go of alcohol is we get to be more present in our own life and with other people. And there's just no replacement for that. Those are some really great tips, Terry. Again, I'm going to have all of your links in the show notes, your free gift and the link to your podcast. So we can send everybody over there if they want to check in with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you liked this episode, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next episode is live. Check out our show notes for this episode where you can find any of the links and resources that were mentioned during the show and connect with a health and wellness provider committed to helping you ditch diets and achieve results without restriction. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you.